Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Greetings, CPD Junkie podcast fam. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we are joined by Dr. Jordan Kolsky. He is a graduate from La Trobe University in 2016. He worked in private practice in Darwin for four years, recently one year in Melbourne. He completed his RACDS primaries in 2018 and worked for the 88 Northern Territory as a Councillor Treasurer and was a recent graduate advisory panel for Northern Territory for several years. He volunteers with the Timor List Dental Mission. He's a self-professed dental geek, Dr. Jordan Kelsky. Welcome to the show. G'day, man. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into your CPD journey, I want to talk a little bit about your volunteering experience with the um, Timor List Dental Project. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about that. I had heard um, from some of the other members of ADANT that the experience was unreal. And there's one dentist called Blanche who organized um, a bunch of uh, Australian volunteers to head to Timor Lest. And being in Darwin, it was such a proximate location and such a good opportunity that I felt like it was incumbent upon me to take that. Um, so I flew there with some friends and we were very fortunate. We got positioned in Arturo Island, which is uh, an even more remote part of Timor. And it doesn't have any real industrialized influence. And we spent about five days on the beach in short shorts, mostly taking out teeth and locals uh, demonstrating their gratitude by giving us coconuts and smiles. And um, I think it was one of the most fulfilling and humbling experiences of my dental career thus far. I signed up to do it in perpetuity, but COVID has made that difficult until recently. And now the program is up and running again for 2022. Wow. I mean, like, yeah, you went back a few times. So, you know, obviously, you know, it was a great experience. Actually, yet to go back. I signed up to go back immediately, but with COVID, it just kept getting delayed. But um, communication now to go back and um, going with different friends. And it's a very bonding experience. I, went, I was so lucky I got to go with some of my friends last time. Um, and I, I can't wait to go again. How would you recommend people get involved with it? If they want to sign uh, I think up. that uh, the, the best way to kind of get involved in these sorts of programs is to kind of wade through the network of people you already know and hear their experiences and, and they'll kind of put you in direct communication um, and try and create a platform that way so that you, you've got a, a, an understanding before you actually engage with it and some expectations with first-hand testimonies. Um, the way I got into this, as I said, was, was through the ADANT. My, my friends Ash and Steph told me about their experiences. And if you ever wanted to get involved in this specific project, it's called the Timor Less Dental Mission. And there's a good handful of dentists from across Australia that participate annually. Uh, a, few, a few giants in the, in the industry as well that humbly commit to the cause. Awesome. So, all right, so you're doing, you're, you're, you've graduated and then you're doing this as well. Tell us a little bit how your CPD journey kind of progresses. Yeah, so um, when I actually graduated dentistry, I was not particularly enraptured by my prospects within the industry. 
I wasn't completely convinced I wanted to be a dentist. But my grandmother is a little Jewish ethnic lady and she threatened me with my life if I didn't give it a shot. So I went to Darwin on a whim. And when I decided that I was going to give it a shot, I said to myself that I'm, I'm going to give 100% commitment, a red hot shot, and see what I can actually uh, procure from that experience. And the hard work um, eventually started to beget passion and then passion begets passion. And the more you know, and the more you understand, the more you realize how little you know and how much more you want to know. And it becomes this, this kind of psychological cul-de-sac where you're just constantly wanting to understand more. So my first year out, I was constantly online inhaling content on things like Spear and Ripe and YouTube and, and common social media, things like Facebook and, and books. And I had the seed planted quite early that I wanted to do my primaries as well. And I also um, committed to going to every single CPD program there was pretty much an ADA and T um, that was available. Now th that that seems like a grand claim, but th there is only a handful every year. <laughs> um, but they were all really, really uh, good value and strong sense of collegiality. So it was easy to consolidate it. And, and by having that kind of commitment to learning, I, progressively wanted to go to more and more programs and learn from more and more people. Wow. So, I mean, like, yeah, because you, you graduated in Latrobe, but you decided to move to Darwin. Was there a, a reason behind that? Like, Yeah, yeah. I, I was in the throes of existential angst about entering the workforce and still wanting to travel the world. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Darwin seemed like the most and least Australian place at the same time. Yeah, uh, I actually thought about going to Europe, but the, the prospect of having to do cross accreditation was too daunting. Um, so what seemed like an incredible opportunity at first to move to Darwin um, is what enticed me. And I went there for one year, but ended up staying over four, actually. And to be completely honest, were it not for the turn of the decade for me turning 30, I, I would have loved to stay on. I was having a great time up there. Yeah, like, I mean... You, you know, attended, look, CPD is not concentrated around Northern Territory, right? Like they're mainly around Sydney, like all on the East Coast. But like you said that that didn't stop you. You just kind of consume content anywhere. Like talk to me for someone who's mainly based in the East Coast. Like what's it like in Northern Territory and what kind of CPD kind of happens? So to just kind of paint the scene and, and the lay of the land of NT, it's, an average age under 35 and an average temperature over 30. So it's really sultry and everyone's overpaid and lives in this environment that feels like a holiday and you're close to Asia and it's got this incredible cosmopolitan influence. So it, it's just this, this really like rip-roaring part of Australia that's underrated until you actually get there and experience it. Um, but the low-key benefit of going out into a rural part of the country is that you have a small dental community. So that in turn is able to create a huge sense of, of solidarity and collegiality where people are willing to take you under their wing and, and willing to let you stand on their shoulders to learn from them. And by having that sense of inclusivity and by having that familiarity with all the people that are there, your, your rate of growth accelerates and you get a lot more opportunities. So every CPD program, it's the same crew every time. You know who you're chatting to at the water cooler. You've got to ask them about their clinic. You've surely got patients that float between clinics that you can joke about and reminisce about. And um, that sort of 
friendship that you have with the other clinicians there really creates an environment that's incredibly conducive to growth, particularly for new graduates and recent graduates, if you're willing to get amongst it. Wow. So, I mean, is that the reason, partly the reason why you also joined part of the ADA as well at that time? Oh, 100%, man. You got to take every opportunity you get. When I was a dental student, I was so disinterested. I, I showed up to class often with the wrong subject in mind or the wrong uniform and in clinic I was so ill-prepared and when I graduated I realized like hang on man this is my life I got to make the most of it so when I joined ADA and and they said look they actually needed some counselors and I thought oh I thought this was this regimented institutionalized system where you have to vote and have demonstrate accolades to even have candidates for that like in Victoria I thought okay well all right I'll give it a shot these guys seem nice and many of them became good friends and, and heavy influences and inspirations for me. And they, they took me on as, as one of the counselors. And you start off with, with kind of low key menial um, tasks and you build up to, to kind of bigger tasks. And, and then after a few years, I, I was happy to become the treasurer. And then I relinquished all participation when I moved back to Melbourne. Um, but being a part of that kind of environment with dental geeks is, is hugely amplifying for opportunities within uh, your career. You rub shoulders with people that are passionate. They, they give you clues about people you should speak to, courses you should do. And yeah, the, the net result of that is that it, it makes you a better clinician. Mm. So how did you kind of structure your LCP journey at that time? Because that eventually led to the primaries. Was that something that was in like, somewhere one or two years out that you're deciding on or like how did that kind of come about i, I was actually um pretty lucky i had this brain worm that i thought i want to keep the doors open for the future particularly if i wanted to specialize and at this stage i had no idea what areas of dentistry interested me so i thought if i'm gonna try and take this on the sooner i do it after graduating the easier the process is going to be so the first year you i i kind of maintained my, my academic stimulation in a clinical context, but not really from, from a, a scientific perspective. So going to primaries, I realized two years out is, is a good time to do it. And I was really lucky. I had one of my good friends doing it as well. And I, I think I had a bit of FOMO when he said he was doing it. So <laughs> I decided to join him. And I can tell you, doing the primaries was a lot, a lot of work and sacrifice. And I'm a very all or nothing person. So my whole life orbited around <laughs> preparing for the, orbit, uh, the the primaries for six months. But um, it's the people you meet. And you know, there, there's this adage, birds of the same feather flock together. And almost all of my friends that did the primaries and, and finished it have gone on to specialize. And again, I kind of, <laughs> I'm stung by a bit of FOMO here and there. <laughs> but um, th those people are still friends of mine. We still message. Just this week, I actually messaged two of them independently asking for clinical advice on cases and we, you spur one another on. So it was a really worthwhile investment in, in terms of laying the groundwork for commitment for the future and keeping opportunities open. Mm. So, yeah, like, so what kind of CPDs were you doing before you kind of were you kind of deciding? So I, I was doing, um, uh, there was a lot of day courses in Darwin taking place where they, they could be, uh, there was a huge spectrum of topics. It could be uh, TBCT interpretation, or it might be socket preservation, 
or it might be how to use a number 12 blade. You know, it, it, was, it was just such a, a big cross-section of topics. And I think that um, there were also quite a few hands-on programs here and there. And, and those had a lot more value to me because I found that the, the transferable cash value of doing something with my hands was immediately applicable when I'd go back to work. Shh, hit pause. Did our guests just mention a course that helped them level up? Quick, log on to our website, cpdjunkie.com.au to find out the next available date for that course so you can start leveling up your dentistry today. I'll wait here. Okay, done? Great. Now let's get on with the episode. Uh, Participating in all of those programs, flying into state for the odd few program as well, was generally my main source of CPD. But as I say, like I, I almost exclusively use my phone for work and dental related things. I'm not a big social media person. I don't have Instagram and I don't have Snapchat or any of that stuff, but I have Facebook just because I like to perv on other people's good feelings and canals and extractions. And it's just awesome. <laughs> so I was online all the time, just geeking out. And um, a lot of that was... Uh, self-motivated and self-educational. It was heuristic, to be honest. Yeah. Were you lead, like leaning on other people to kind of point you in the direction of, you know, coy, speed, like all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff online? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hugely indebted to one particular teacher I had at the Trove. His name's Andrew Chiao. And he gave me such great direction in terms of areas to focus on in the early years. And he was really... Uh, like a crutch to lean against when you needed confidence that you were making the right decisions and that you, you were you were progressing in the, a wholesome way. Um, so he was one of my teachers and he remains a friend of mine today and, and he really gave me great direction. And then other friends of mine that cast shadows that I was so impressed by, I, I would ask them for advice as well. And they would often point me in different directions to inspire me to do particular programs. Mm. At the time of this recording, actually, we've actually done an episode with Andrew Chio, but we haven't released it yet. <laughs> awesome. Because that man is a bloody legend. You know, the, I'm telling you, the biggest giants in, in our game are the humblest people, and they deserve so many accolades. <laughs> but the greatest deeds we do for the community will go unrecognized. And he's one of those people that is so deserving, that is, has so much humility, he'd never, he'd never stand on a podium. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. He was definitely an interesting um, guy, super humble about all of the things that he's done. Um, mm. But I want to I touch on some of the other things that you've done when you're in your time in Darwin. You know, there's not a lot of Jews in Darwin, but I heard that <laughs> there was something about a Facebook group that you were the informal point person of contact. I'm impressed by your research skills, my friend. You have done something. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually when I got to Darwin, it, it's a small side story. I arrived there as an orphan pretty much. I had literally $200. I borrowed a bit of money from my mom to, to tie me over for the first fortnight because it was my grad job. And I didn't know a single person there. And my first day off, it was um, an Australia Day, sorry, um, yeah, an Australia Day fun run. And I just finished it and I went to a cafe and there was a guy standing in front of me and we just started chatting. And he made a Jew joke. And I thought it was pretty funny. And I said to him, hey man, I'm actually Jewish. And he goes, yeah, me too. I thought to myself, Oh my God, no way. I didn't know there were any of us up here. How many of us are here? And he's like, well, now that you're here, there's 10 of us. And I'm telling you, man, I have the world's strongest Judah. So like this guy slipped right under it. 
And um, <laughs> while I was there, I kept getting exposed to people that I'm like, I feel like they're Jewish. And then I'd start asking. I built up this network of like 25 people that were Jews, patients, friends, people I just met in the community. So I put on an event for the Jewish New Year and I ended up getting something like 50 people, including a lot of transient Israelis. And that gave birth to the Darwin Jewish community. And it's evolved and it's ongoing. And it's actually got a lot of wind now. There's now a Jewish cemetery there. They've opened a Holocaust museum. And I was like the informal Jewish head of the community, which was bizarre because I have no training and I only identify culturally as a Jew. I'm not in the slightest bit religious. Um, and I'd have people calling me up saying, how do I do a circumcision? <laughs> you take a number 12 blade now. <laughs> um, but that same guy I met in the cafe, his name is Josh. He is now married to my sister. They have a second kid on the way. Wow. What yeah. a, what is 10 of the events, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and another girl from that community married my first cousin. So I was like the fiddler on the roof. So if you go back now, is there going to be a plaster of you somewhere that you don't even realize that's there? <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, um, when I left Darwin, I, I, I'd been in this, this exhibition and, and one of the prizes for a piece I submitted was I could put in a public installation. And I really wanted to, I, I gave a proposal. She said, it has to be approved beforehand. So my proposal was, I was going to do cast models of my hand with floss in between them and a picture of my face leaning down like this. <laughs> and it was going to say, dear Darwin, when I'm gone, remember to floss. And I thought that would be the best legacy, but um, it was rejected by the curators. So I never Aww, made it. That's a shame. But hey, that's, you do a bit of artwork too, don't you? During the downtime, during the pandemic, you, you presented some sort of award during some sort of gallery. Uh, I was, um, I, it was just like totally experimental. I actually had a dental mirror from home because I, I was practicing wax ups and I was looking at my own teeth. And um, during, it was like a voluntary isolation thing in Darwin. This is like the early 2020 phase and like a responsible health professional, I was petrified. So I stayed home. And one of the, every day I was trying a different activity. So one day I tried to paint my own face and I, I just kind of got into a flow state. I'd never painted before and, and I loved the outcome. And then each week I'd do a different one and it really reflected my mood of, of how COVID was unfolding. And then um, later on, um, someone had mentioned to a, a curator of Darwin that I'd done this painting. She was actually a friend of the clinic and she asked if she could see it and then offered to exhibit it. And it ended up in the Darwin Entertainment Center and, and then separate kind of community ones. It was nothing big, man. It was like, you know, <laughs> everything in Darwin, it's a small pond, right? So it has to all be taken with a grain of salt. But it was still really like a fun activity. I still like to paint. I, I do it mostly just for friends as gifts. Um, I painted one of my boss as well as a, a, a thank you gift um, before I left Darwin because he was a bloody legend to me, Angelo Perotos. So shout out to him as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so many things are going great, right? At this time in Darwin, you're, you're doing the ADA. You've got, um, you've got the Facebook group kind of going with the Jews as well. And then, you know, you got to come back to Victoria. So what happens? Oh, man, it was such a, a pin in the bubble of my intentions. I, okay, so basically, Andrew Teo had told me about a course in Melbourne hosted by the Australian Cross Society, which was a Didi Adichie conservative, conservative rehabilitation course that I went to. I fell in love with it so much so that I then flew to Geneva so I could do some direct observations with Adichie. And that was 
awesome and I met even more inspiring people that um, helped push me in, in, a, in a helpful trajectory for areas that interested me. And by the time I left Geneva, I, one of the facilitators of a program there asked, offered me to come to the university to have a look at the facility and meet the educators, and I did. And I was just so impressed by what they were doing. I was absolutely convinced I was going to go to Geneva and do a specialty program there. So I started building a portfolio and I started doing night classes in French in Darwin to prepare. And um, all the while COVID was taking place and I thought it would be done after a year and it wasn't. And at that point, I was just nearly 30 and I thought to myself, I need to kind of make a, a life decision. Am I going to continue to specialize? And if so, then I want it to be in the best institution possible with the teachers that have inspired me already. I, I didn't want to do it if, if I was half-hearted about it. Or do I come home and start laying roots, return to my family? I've got my elderly grandmother here. She's 98. And um, she looks just like me, same nose, same curly hair, except she's four foot tall, perfect sphere, and has the temperament of Mussolini. She's like a proper ethnic grandma. And um, I, someone needed to kind of take care of her. I had some nephews here, and I thought to myself, you know, it's a good opportunity to come home. And in some ways, being disenfranchised of the decision was really a huge relief because what it did was it actually nullified any scope for regret. I can't regret a decision I didn't make. The universe made the decision for me. So I came home and I'm actually really happy for the decision because the way the world has unfolded, I would have lost a lot of money and a lot of time if I had gone to Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. And so, yeah, so now you've come back. I mean, it sounds like you've got this interest in prose. So how are you kind of diving more into it? You know, the full mouth rehabs, the warnations and all of that. Well, in Darwin, there's a complete paucity of specialists. You know, there, there were no prosthodontists. So in, in some ways, it was an invitation to grow and to try and provide a service. But in many ways, it was a really important reminder to be circumspect. Never try and bite off more that you can chew. Unfortunately, there's a few gangbuster dentists up there that have 20, 30, 40 years under their belt. And, and they were very forthcoming to kind of lead the way and show you what's what. Um, so after this Dichi program, I started becoming really interested in conservative rehabilitation, um, buildups in composites, conversions to indirect restorations. And um, to get to that space, I, I started obsessing a little bit about Pascal Meunier's material science so that I could really trust what I was doing. And I, I just absolutely inhaled all of his literature and his books. Then um, uh, when I was in um, Geneva, I, I met some educators there and, and, and some students, and they actually put me on to Francesca Vailardi, and I know she's actually got a bit of an online presence now um, with her three-step program, but uh, I'd been following her stuff a bit before that, and she is a hero to dentists, <laughs> and I love what she's doing. I love the idea of being able to restore health and function without actually needing to remove any biological tissue or minimal biological tissue. Um, so I was really quite passionate about that in Darwin, the demography of patients is extremely vast. You could have um, someone from a remote indigenous community coming to see you, and then the following patient can be a mining tycoon and anywhere in between. So I had a lot more scope to, to let these skills unfold and develop. Now I'm in Melbourne. I'm very privileged. I love my clinic, great team, awesome place to work. Um, there is a different demography. It's, it's an upper, upper middle class area. And I am not seeing nearly as many warm dentitions as I did in the past. For some reason, they actually treat their problems in the early phase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, many of them have splints before they need rehabs. And um, I haven't actually been able to do much of that since coming to Melbourne, but uh, with time and reputation, because as you know, every time you move, you have to almost start again. I, I hope that can change and I can get back into it. Mm. Well, talk to me about these programs that you did. Like, so yeah, you went overseas, you got to observe, what's that like? Like, are you, is it like a two, three weeks kind of every day to day back or you got to go back a few times? Oh man, I'll, I'll tell you that the best CPD you will do is observations, hands down. Better than any program, hands-on or clinical, uh, sorry, hands-on or, or, or just a, a dialogical because when you've got that intimacy with the person and that familiarity and, and that access to what they're doing, to see how their hands move, to see their communication, to see not just their triumphs, but also their foibles, to see that they're, they're actually humans as well, things can be difficult for them. It's so, so uh, inspiring. And um, I've done that a few times where I, I, I message just people that inspire me that I've barely know me, like I may have done their course or not at all and asked to see them. And um, I've, I've done that with um, Shravan, for example, in Adelaide, because I wanted to know more about dentures and, and he's the guru and it was uh, Beachy in, in, in Geneva and, and, and Terry Wong in uh, Melbourne and, and so many, so many more. And if you can stand on the shoulders of giants, you're going to see as far as they are. You may not have the same skills and hands as they do, but you can see what's really possible. And um, I'm a big believer. If you reach out, people will help you. There should be collegiality in dentistry. And it's not all about competition and trying to unhinge one another and outdo one another because it's a health service. And there's the pie is big enough that we can all survive and that we should all be forthcoming to help one another. And I really mm. believe that. You know, I think... That's an interesting point that you point out that you're just connecting with people and then people are happy to reach out, but it's up to yourself to actually uh, follow through with it. Because like you said, you actually traveled to them to go and observe and discuss and all of that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And and if, if you do reach out, look, you may get knocked back sometimes, but you're only in the, the time of an email at loss for the, for the effort. And, and if it does convert and they do accept you, it's, unreal so when i went to go um watch dichi work you know standing over his shoulder for a few days was amazing and I, I remember like the little bonuses you don't expect like i was in the staff room and he said to me excuse me jordan i actually have to go see this patient i don't think she'll be comfortable with anyone watching are you okay if you wait in the staff room and my colleague keeps you company I'm like yeah no problem in walks pascal manier you know, hello, I'm Pascal. I'm like, I know, massive <laughs> fan, you know, like a huge fanboy. It's like, oh, you know me. I'm like, I know everything. He's like, what do you like about me. I'm like, everything. <laughs> um, moments like that, and and then meeting one of his associates, Paolo Massimo, who was the guy who invited me to the university, and and now following his work and reading his publications. So you know, and, and I still sometimes message, just like, oh, here's a case that was inspired or affected by you guys, and. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the fruits of those efforts just um, keep giving. Mm. I like the I like your attitude because um, you know it. Did, a lot of people think about it like, oh, you know, I gotta go, I gotta take off a week from work, um, or you know, two weeks from work to go. But that didn't stop you. You know, you just like went for it. I, I to, to be completely honest, yes, I did back then. I did back then. Now it's 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 harder because the, the goalpost shifts. And your expectations and obligations have to be commensurate with that. So um, COVID has been a tough time for many clinics in Melbourne. 
And now is the period of consolidation, recuperation, while we all anticipate a renaissance in the future. So I want to pull my weight. I'm a relatively new member in this team and I'm less inclined to take time off to study, or I have been at least for the last 12 months. But and that being said, I still did take time off, just not as much as I would love to. And um, I intend on doing a lot more in the years ahead. Mm. I, I flagged a few projects in, in the next few years that I'd like to do. Fair enough. Yeah, well, so tell us a little bit about some of these um, courses that you're picking now, because obviously, like you said, some of these works, these bigger cases aren't propping up so much. So are you tailoring it a little bit to more your demographics? 100%. Look, uh, I think one thing I observed amongst my friends is that when I was in Darwin, a lot of people would say to me, it's awesome you get to do that sort of stuff up there, but it would never happen in Melbourne. Um, we, don't need, we don't get crowns or our patients can't afford uh, major dentistry. And, and I am a big believer that um, almost anywhere you go, you, you will be able to do most treatments. It, we generally do what we're most comfortable with. And if you haven't had that experience, you're going to have a kind of intellectual bias to offer various treatments and, and less inclination to do others. So I think understanding your demography and, and reflecting their needs is important, but it doesn't mean you have to abandon projects that you want to do. So while for the moment being, I've put that kind of interceptive rehabilitation uh, work on pause, I've also kind of stepped into the world of Invisalign, which I think is awesome to offer clear aligner therapy. I could never do that in Darwin because I always said, I'm leaving at the end of the year, I'm leaving at the end of the year. And, and it kept getting delayed. And I had this fear of starting treatment that I couldn't finish. So I thought professional responsibility, I shouldn't do that. Now I'm in Melbourne and I've committed, I can do that. And I've substituted a lot of my attention in that direction over the last 12 months. And, and it really excites me because it ties perfectly into the concept of being conservative and it's an extra arrow in my quiver. And the day will come where I'll get to consolidate everything and it'll, it'll all just be one big project instead of lots of little side projects. Hmm. So what kind of things are you um, doing to get better in the orthodontics removable um, department? This is, this is a loaded question. <laughs> trying to fit the ocean into a bathtub because it, I think orthodontics is this hugely enigmatic area for recent graduates that have genuine intentions about wanting to learn and wanting to participate, but struggling to find meaningful direction and, and reputable mentoring. So I've been researching lots of different clear aligner courses over the last few months. And I'm still in that research phase where I'm speaking to people and trying to collate uh, their experiences to see what best reflects my situation. And what the conclusion I'm kind of leaning towards is that I think I'm going to have to do several things, several courses um, to actually reputably have a good foundation and axiomatic platform to, to grow. Um, because the reality is, I mean, you know the words, but you can't hear the music. Like I can define an occlusion, but man, there's so many things I don't know, the unknown unknowns. And I'm, I'm the first to admit that. So I come with a lot of humility when, when I, I look for this sort of course. Um, so what I have been doing in the interim, the most important thing I've done is I have the most amazing mentor in my clinic. He is he makes textbook, textbook look bad. Like his work is just so impeccable. It makes you just want to like, that's it, man. Hang up the drill. Like I'll never be as good as this guy. Um, his name is Val Roberts. He's a legend, both as a person and as a clinician. And I'm really, really lucky that he's kind of taken me under his wing and 
and he's helping kind of hold my hand through the whole process. I'm still wet behind the ears, but I've, I've nearly finished a um, handful of, of these cases over the last year and I've got a whole bunch on the go and, and he's really helping me with it. So having a, a mentor, I think, is the most important thing if you're going to start to also. Yeah, because like a lot of graduates, uh, they're coming out and I, it's a recurring thing. They're like, I need to learn implants very quickly. I need to learn author very quickly. And they try to just do it all at the same time. And you know, another thing when it goes into author is like, do I do fix first? Do I do removable first? Like, you know, all of that. But I like what you're saying is like, you don't do your research. You kind of um, have to really think about it. And to your point, it's not going to stop at one course. It's going to be multiple kind of courses putting in. man. And look, the race is long and it's only ever with yourself. You, you can't let accolades and decorations of others really dictate the trajectory of your own career. You have to investigate what you want and what your future should look like and should feel like. And ultimately, you can only really make the best decisions today for tomorrow. You're not going to know everything. You're not going to be able to do everything. So find an area that interests you, work hard at it. And, and try and, and walk before you run as well. Don't go to an all on four program if you're a new graduate. You know, master the bread and butter. I, I still think the best thing you can do when you graduate is start doing photography. I know that's just such a tired bit of feedback that everyone gets, but it's so true. I, I've been, since my second year out, you know, first year out actually, I bought a camera and I document heaps of things. And I keep copies on my phone. I've got so many folders on my phone called dental this and dental that. And I, and I look through them. And when someone brings up a case, I, I immediately think of, yeah, I've got that photo on my phone. I've got one similar to that. And what's amazing is that I look back on my pictures and I think, wow, I was crap. <laughs> <laughs> and back then I thought I was good. <laughs> you know, history has a long tail. So that's why I, I only share my work with my friends. Like, even if I'm proud of it, I'm like, this might haunt me in five years, even though I'm proud of it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but document your work and reflect on it. Reflect on it meaningfully. That's great. That's great. I mean, like, did someone tell you to take the photo or did you decide that to get it? Because I think nowadays it's definitely a more reoccurring um, mention. Like, it's expected that you have your own digital. But, you know, for when you graduate in 16 and 17, like, for myself, it wasn't the biggest thing out there. Like, people weren't talking about it as much as they are now. No, I, 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 that's true. That's very true. Um, I think that uh, props to my grandma that she's raised me that any investment in your education will always pay in dividends. And at the time when I was earning less than my dental nurse and I bought myself the, the camera, the DSLR setup, I, I really agonized over it. And uh, <laughs> I've got so many screenshots of different cameras and lenses and flashes and trying to buy secondhand ones and driving hours to source a cheaper flash to get the wrong one for a Canon instead of anything. <laughs> it was a whole process back then investing in it. And I can wholeheartedly say every dollar you spend on your education is worth a thousand in the future. You will not only just financially recuperate your losses, but the satisfaction you get from seeing your work grow will give you a lot more um, pleasure in your career. There's a good word that Jews use called nachas, which is like when you get a sense of pride, it's usually in relation to your family, but you can, you can have nachas about your work as well. When you see something working and succeeding and it's a really positive outcome. And I think the investment in your education gives you, gives you that nachas. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so I think you've mentioned it a few, thi a few things already, but like 
Have there been any other particular struggles that in your journey so far that some of our viewers might not have known about? Uh, yeah, for, for sure. There's, there's always struggles. I think um, some of the struggles are really, for me, the biggest one is being able to let go of the failure. And I'm sure this is a common one with people that have obsessive compulsive personalities or, or become low-key perfectionists that you can do a job the patient can be thrilled. Your nurse can be impressed. And you look at it and you just like horror struck and like this crestfallen creature, like, what have I done? I only see the imperfections. And I, I swear I've, I've never done a cosmetic case, but I look at it and I'm like, hell yeah, that's exactly how I saw it. <laughs> and I have some, some friends can say, that's an amazing job. And I'll be like, oh, look at this and look at that. And things like that really hang really heavily on, on my heart. And um, when, when something goes wrong, I, I blame myself way too much and it, it can take ages and ages to bounce back and recuperate. And unfortunately, dentistry is really a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have confidence, you're gonna do great work. And if your confidence gets shaken, you're probably gonna do shaky work for a bit until it starts to recuperate. And the way I kind of uh, deal with those feelings, well, first of all, having good friends around you and other dental geeks is really helpful. But um, remembering that dentistry is a bit like playing golf and it's about your par average instead of getting hole in ones every time. And not that I'm a golfer, I wouldn't know which end of the club to use, but <laughs> the medical kind of makes sense to me. Um, so letting go of my failures is, is a big problem I have and it, it infects my mind. <laughs> if something doesn't go right, I, I lose sleep over it. Um, and another one is, and this one it, it, it always, always catches me off guard. It's, it's navigating the needs of your team, basically understanding everyone's emotional, professional expectations and needs. And the psychology of the workplace is, is complicated. Every time I think I understand it, I'm, I'm struck by something I didn't understand. And um, I think it's really important to, to try and, and reflect about how you can be the best member of your team and make other people happy. It's not just a workplace, but it's, you know, the way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. And you don't want to surround yourself with people that are miserable or bring out something bad in you and vice versa. So learning how to identify personalities that are good for you and personalities that you, you need to kind of use a strategy with from the offset, um, that's a difficult one. Like I've had nurses that have become my best friends. My first ever nurse, uh, she's like a sister to me. She even came to live with me for a bit. And then I've had nurses where I just thought to myself, wow, we can't even communicate. How the hell is a patient going to trust us if, they can't, if we can't trust each other? You know, and, and it, it's just amazing. It's, it's an ongoing process. And stay tuned. I'm not the guru in that area. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, and thanks for being so honest about it. Oh, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm sure we, we all have a, a lot of lights on our resume. <laughs> So what would you say your current ideal clinical day looks like? Or what do you hope it might look like or non-clinical day might look like as well in five years time? Oh, my, okay, my dream would be this. My dream would be get to work and you've only got like three patients for the day and they're all big jobs. Maybe it's, it's some crown work for one or it's some buildups for another um, and, and, a, and a, a checkup and, and some reviews just for, for that rapport sake. Because I, that for me is super fulfilling when you see patients coming back and you know their family, and you have that, that sense of friendship after some time. So that in the afternoon and big jobs in the morning would be my ideal. 
Um, current, but that takes, you have to build your reputation, you have to build your skill set. So that's still going to take some time in Melbourne. It's, it's a different, different environment to Darwin. And um, in the current climate, my ideal day is a Cerec, a bunch of fillings, a bit of Invisalign and finishing early. <laughs> <laughs> Running on time. That's my ideal day. That's, that, that, I can relate with that definitely. You know, when you're late at night, everyone's all packed up. You're still typing up your notes, just trying to get through it all. Yeah, um, we sign off for the day. And it's like you have been here twelve hours. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my dear God. <laughs> <laughs> you stayed here overnight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, how does that compare to what your 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 usual day was like in Northern Territory? Oh, NT was so cool because you had such a variety every day. I remember the, the clinic I used to work in, Palmerston Dental Surgery, when I joined it, I remember it was one of my first days there. And I thought to myself, this day would have been the perfect exam for a fifth year dental student. It was everything. There was oral med problems and there was ortho and there was surgical extractions and there was difficult pros and there was difficult endo and difficult uh, endodontic diagnosis. I thought, wow, there is everything. And <laughs> Those days really were riddled with so much. You had no idea what you were going to do, which was so awesome and sometimes quite frightening because um, there's not a lot of specialists to bail you out. Um, in Melbourne, it's, it's, it's just a lot more predictable. It, it, there's a lot, it's restoratively focused in our practice, I think. There's, there's a big emphasis on, on fixing something if it's broken and trying to prevent something as well. And I love prevention. Um, and there's far less emergency and acute work. I used to see raging abscesses and, and perio that that was too unholy for a periodontist. <laughs> and, um, you know, now there's some gingivitis. <laughs> and, and this person will tip their life upside down to start flossing. I'm like, that's awesome. It's a knife that cuts two ways to have that privilege of patients with health literacy and dedication. So I'm learning to roll with it, adapting to my environment. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's, it's easy for me to lament about what I've left behind, but I'm equally excited about what awaits me. Mm. I mean, how about, how about your non-clinical days? What kind of things are you going to kind of get up to? Are you going to pick up yoga again? Or are you doing that now? <laughs> I used to love yoga. I'm like, if, if I stopped doing yoga, I'd have the, the posture of a question mark, Quasimodo. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I used to go to yoga a lot in Bowen, but nobody had a studio I really like yet. Um, I, I, outside of dentistry, I, I love music. I like playing guitar. I'm, I'm an avid meditator. Um, I love all things relating to consciousness and neuroscience. So I'm like a bit of a geek in, in those areas, <laughs> traveling and animal welfare. Um, I, I love health and fitness. So often exercising, I've recently taken up cycling to work. So I used to like condemn all these cyclists from my car, like bitterly under my breath. I'm like, ride your lane, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> And now I've become one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, so exploring Melbourne and reacquainting myself with it. It's been 10 years since I've been here, so I feel like a foreigner in the city I grew up in. Don't tell me your, your dental chair is a saddle chair. <laughs> it's been a saddle chair for a long time, baby. <laughs> <Walt Lane Cowboy. laughs> um, no, Annika has uh, given me some good guidance on ergonomics and... Uh, and um, I, I was happy with the saddle for a long time. I'm, I'm probably going to upgrade it at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could share some words of wisdom for your younger self, what would it be? Because 
you mentioned like earlier on, you just weren't sure if this was the place to be. Okay, the, the most important thing is whether you're passionate or not, commit hard. Just say, I'm going to take every opportunity. I'm going to work my ass off. If something doesn't work out, I'm going to reflect on why it didn't work out and try your best. Really give it your all. Because if you do, you will find that organically passion will beget passion and you'll become increasingly interested and your standards will climb. And suddenly you'll say, this isn't my career. This is a part of my identity. I love what I do. I love this service. And I want to be the best I can be at it because it's fulfilling in your life. So take every opportunity, learn as much as you can, invest money and time. Thousands of dollars will mean nothing in the trajectory of your life. But now it seems like a huge amount of money, but what you invest now will, will just yield so many benefits later on. So uh, I would say, get in as many programs as you can, try and do structured things, big, bigger courses, go for like a year residency, commit to something big and don't be afraid. And you'll find people that you like and, and you'll all get spurred along together. Awesome. If you, if you don't take those opportunities, you can easily get left behind or just become another day job. That's, that's so true. I, I, you know, for the listeners, if you don't feel the passion that's coming through, like, I don't know what else is going to get you up to get it. <laughs> uh, for the listeners, you can't see the eye bags under my eyes either. <laughs> <laughs> I see none. I see none. <laughs> well, Dr. Jordan Kolsky, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you. Yeah, um, probably message me on uh, Facebook, Jordan Kolsky. There's me and one other guy who sometimes accepts friend requests that are intended to be directed towards me. <laughs> Just look for the 10-year age gap. Um, otherwise, you can email me on kolskydentist at gmail.com. As I, I said or alluded to previously, I don't really have a lot of social media. I'm a bit old school. Or um, send a carrier pigeon to BC Dental, where I'm currently working. If you like this episode... Drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.